I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. Coming up, we talk with a Boulder therapist about a new study in the science journal Nature about Special Forces veterans who've gotten measurable relief from traumatic brain injury symptoms after taking one single dose of an illegal drug called Ibogaine. And so this is where the value of having these medicines that increase neuroplasticity can come in. So that way it can um, help people see that something else is possible. We begin with some environmental news about a case happening in Denver tomorrow to determine the fate of an elusive wildcat with furry paws and black tufted ears. Government agencies are supposed to protect lynx habitat so they can become a self-sustaining species. But logging plans in southern Colorado may pit the needs of lynx against the needs of logging and problems with beetle kill. How on earth Beth Bennett has the story. I'm speaking with Ellen Richmond, who is a senior attorney for Defenders of Wildlife. This case is about a small and struggling population of lynx that really needs all the help it can get. Forest Service biologists have said it's in the emergency room. Lynx in Colorado depend heavily on one national forest, which is the Rio Grande National Forest in southern Colorado. They need protection against logging in their preferred forest habitat there. This small population of lynx previously inhabited a mature spruce fir forest, big trees at high elevation. The spruce beetle devastated that habitat. The weakening of the habitat protections for lynx is to facilitate salvage logging of that deadwood. The Fish and Wildlife Service said this lynx population was on a downward slide, but that's something they've ignored in analyzing the consequences of this forest plan. Another issue at the center of the case is some logging protections have been retained in what are called high-use lynx areas using a study that only covered about half of the forest. And we'd like the agencies to go back and look at other science that covers the unstudied half of the forest and reconsider the need for additional protections for lynx habitat there. Well, these seem like really reasonable proposals that you have. So will this be kind of a pro forma case or do you think that it'll be contested? It's been contested. The case is now before the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals, which is a federal appeals court. We will be in court on Wednesday, January 17th. That was Ellen Richmond of Defenders of Wildlife talking about an upcoming court case to extend protection for the lynx in southern Colorado. For KGNU, this is Beth Bennett. Traumatic brain injury is a leading cause of disability. That's the first words of a new Stanford University study published last week in the science journal Nature. It's about Special Forces veterans who've been getting good results from taking one single dose 
of a drug that's illegal in the United States. The illegal drug has been used with some success to treat addictions, but it's also been documented in some cases as causing lasting brain damage. It's also triggered heart arrhythmias and even death, by some estimates, in one out of every 300 users. The drug is named Ibogaine. The new Stanford study points out that Ibogaine is legal in Canada and Mexico. The Stanford study focuses on a clinic in Mexico that administers one pill of Ibogaine while the client receives an IV drip of magnesium that reduces the risk of heart problems from the drug. Most of these veterans who took one pill of Ibogaine to help them with disabilities from traumatic brain injuries and PTSD, most of those veterans got better. So what's going on with Ibogaine? Today we'll talk about it with a local Boulder therapist who's been helping at a Mexican clinic that administers the drug. But before we talk with the therapist, let's listen to an excerpt from Stanford neurobiologist Andrew Huberman's podcast. In this excerpt, he's talking with the leader of the new Ibogaine study. He's Stanford University psychiatrist Nolan Williams. These drugs can't be recreational drugs. They really shouldn't be recreational drugs, right? They're really too powerful. This generation of psychedelic researchers are really clear about that. You know, I think the 60s folks were not clear about that. They felt like there was a whole, this whole kind of cultural thing that was going on there. But I think this cohort of individuals really understands that if you need a prescription for an SSRI, which doesn't change your consciousness a whole lot, and we were very worried about that, and the doctor has to evaluate you for that every week, that the idea that some of these substances would, would go outside of, of very strict medical supervision is uh, is kind of preposterous, actually. It's kind of... It's kind of a, a dumb moment, I think, for all of medicine to say, look, if we're going to do this right, we've got to do it in such a way that's so protected, that's so safe, that we make sure people know these things are not recreational and they're really for the pure purposes of really powerfully changing cognition for a while and letting people have these what seem to be relatively therapeutic states. You and I have spent some time with the operators and former operators at, at an event on last Veterans Day, in fact, the so-called Veterans Solutions Group that's pioneering a lot of these psychedelic treatments for former special operators and current special operators. And of course, you also have other domains of society looking at this. It was really interesting because there were both far left and far right politicians at that event that's up right. on stage together that's talking right. about heart medicine, but also talking about neurobiology and just fascinating from the perspective of somebody who's trying to learn about this stuff that psychedelic therapies no longer sit within the anti-establishment. It's independent of all that. And certainly when people in the military are adopting it as a potential treatment. Again, still under exploration, but also under exploration at universities like Stanford and Johns Hopkins and UCSF and University College London and on and on. That was Stanford's Nolan Williams speaking about Ibogaine on the Huberman Lab podcast. You can listen to the full podcast on YouTube. I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. We're talking today about a new study of a psychedelic drug called Ibogaine. The study indicates that Ibogaine might have benefited a small group of Special Forces veterans who suffered from traumatic brain injury. Ibogaine is illegal in the United States, but legal in Canada and Mexico. For more insights into this treatment, let's talk with a local therapist in Boulder who's helped to facilitate treatments with Ibogaine at a clinic down in Mexico. All right, so my name is Andrew Linares. And you're working with people who have 
physical damage to their brains. Yeah, that is correct. I'm an on-the-ground facilitator for an organization called The Mission Within. We work primarily with U.S. Special Force operators, combat veterans, most of whom have mild traumatic brain injury. Now, Special Forces, that's the stuff in a James Bond movie. Yeah, so these are going to be mostly like Navy SEALs, Rangers, Green Berets, you know, folks like that. So these are elite soldiers, elite warriors. These are, are exceptional humans who really have the capacity to accomplish extraordinary tasks. But they've gotten either a bonk on the head or they've been around a lot of blast, meaning the air around them has been compressed and uncompressed so many times it's probably caused some brain damage. Yeah, that's correct. Do they have a diagnosis through symptoms or through an MRI that they have brain damage? Well, they'll do both. They'll do some sort of imaging, brain imaging, as well as looking at different symptoms that people show up with. Here in Boulder, many people are aware of the fact that there have been studies of MDMA, better known as the street drug ecstasy, for the treatment of PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, using MDMA in conjunction with a lot of counseling for three months and the drug three different times has done a pretty amazing job of improving people's ability to function so that they kind of really don't have PTSD anymore, or at least not debilitating PTSD. Yes. So I was a therapist working on one of the Boulder sites on one of the studies. And yeah, MDMA therapy is very, very different than Ibogaine treatment. MDMA treatment for PTSD is supposedly treating something that is a psychological disability rather than a physical one is how most medical doctors, most medical people would describe it. Mm-hmm. You know, that it has to do with somebody having suffered abuse as a child or they went through something very traumatic and the memory's hard to get away from. It gets described in those ways. It doesn't get described in a physical way, usually, in terms of what the injury is. That tends to be correct, that it is described as a psychological or an emotional experience rather than a physiological. <laughs> you're, you're really having... You want to say more? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do think that when we're talking about the distinctions between, say, PTSD and you know traumatic brain injury, traumatic brain injury is definitely much more of a physiological experience that then has impacts on the psychological and emotional versus PTSD, which is going to be something that has a psychological or an emotional experience that then has an impact on the physiological. So let's talk a little bit about how these things get treated by standard medicine. Mm -hmm. For instance, if somebody has PTSD, one of the standard treatments is a lot of medication, maybe antidepressants, every single day for the rest of your life. The MDMA treatment has been more of get off all of your drugs that you're taking, even medical prescription drugs, and go through this intensive counseling process once a month. Take MDMA with counselors around to help you go through the experience three times in three months and see how this helps you heal. Mm -hmm. And quite often it does help somebody heal. That's very different from the medical model for how to treat these things. And now we're talking about brain injuries where what is the standard medical model for treating somebody who has mild brain damage from some of the things you describe? The question is, what is the, the medical model for treating this? Thank you. Yes, that yes. is okay. the question. <laughs> People will be prescribed high doses of SSRIs. Serotonin reuptake inhibitors, meaning antidepressants, sleep medicines, maybe a little dose of antipsychotics, mm-hmm. things like that, gets prescribed for brain damage to take on an ongoing basis. If we looked up standard of care, it might be something like that. 
Yes, absolutely. So a lot of the, and I use the word guys because I mostly work with men, but um, a lot of the guys and, and gals that we work with, they have been on prescription medication for a long time. And what kind of prescription medications? SSRIs, anti-anxiety meds, sleep aids, these kinds of things, because their systems are perpetually living in a state of hyperactivation, of a high alertness. From something that shows up in a way that is called a physical brain damage. Correct, yes. And so when it's a mild traumatic brain injury, it is perceived as a physiological experience. Now we're going to get to the new Stanford study, a case study of 30 individuals who had diagnosed brain damage. They were given some counseling, some yoga, meditation, things like that for a little bit of time. They were down in Mexico where it's legal to take this drug that I'll let you pronounce its name. The name is ibogaine hydrochloride. It is legal in Mexico. It is derived from the root bark of the tabernath iboga plant. It grows in Central or Western Africa. It is a small kind of shrub that has orange or yellow fruiting bodies. To be honest, I've never seen one in person because they only grow in this one very limited region of the world. Oh, and, that makes it a little bit mystical. So it's a rare plant. And it actually does not grow very well. I think people have tried to grow this outside of that area and have not had a lot of success. And, you know, a big topic around the use of ibogaine as a worldwide um, phenomenon is that most of the iboga that is utilized around the world is actually poached. It's really an important piece as um, this psychedelic revolution continues to get bigger that we really do consider the sustainability issues as well as the folks on the ground who have been the caretakers of this knowledge for thousands of years and how to make sure that we're in right relationship with the earth, with the medicine, with the people, etc. This plant might go extinct if it isn't carefully taken care of, just as we're discovering a potential use for it that's kind of intriguing. Yes, I mean, it's incredibly important that we have deep reverence for this plant, for this medicine, and for the caretakers of this knowledge. Okay, I'm going to pretend like this is a scientific interview. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I appreciate that. That's, that's certainly not my wheelhouse. I'm a therapist, and this is where I'm coming from. And yes, it's very important that this is a naturally derived plant alkaloid that comes from a very precious resource. Thank you for saying that. Now, if we get back to what's happening with this drug that comes from this unusual rare plant, Mm -hmm. it seems to be helping people in this case study who have not been able to be helped by the standard American medicines they've been on. It seems to be helping with something that is diagnosed as a physical damage to their brains. It's it's a little bit of therapy. It's one dose of this with some magnesium. Mm -hmm. Then a little bit more therapy, a little more yoga, a little more meditation. And then off they go in their lives and they're doing better. Yeah, so a couple of things. And the magnesium is utilized in order to mitigate cardiovascular risks. So you can get heart palpitations. Well, it can be arrhythmia. I mean, and so this is something that's really important for your listeners to understand is that ibogaine actually has the potential for lethality. So it can kill you. It can kill you. And so it's really important that if you're going to be, you know, working with this medicine, that you have proper medical supervision, um, which they did in the study, which is why they were utilizing the, uh, the magnesium in order to help mitigate some of the heart arrhythmia issues, which can be lethal. Okay. So this medicine, excuse me, this herbal drug that's psychoactive, it can be hard on the body. Absolutely. 
I have been through the experience twice myself, and it is a challenging experience on a physiological level, on a psychological, emotional, and spiritual level. Okay, you've been through it yourself. Do you have some brain damage? I do not, but I do work with these medicines, and it's from my ethos and from my ethical standpoint, I think it's important that I know these medicines if I'm going to be facilitating for others. Okay, we could talk about things like how wise men and medicine men take people through these kinds of experiences with some kind of a psychoactive compound. For thousands and thousands of years, this has been done. It's just so different from how we do things today with medicine. Let's keep trying to put this in a scientific context. Got it. Okay. And this is the hard thing because this is not purely a scientific endeavor. There is something more here, I do believe, than just a scientific endeavor that needs to be bridged as we start working with these medicines because they are sacred medicines. They are not just purely a scientific endeavor. I'm going to stick with the science for a bit, if you don't mind. Okay. And that is that observational looks at these folks who've gone through this experience Mm -hmm. indicate that they're doing better. They don't have the symptoms that made them diagnosed with brain damage as they had going into this after they've gone through this experience out of the group of 30 Mm -hmm. that you've looked at. Mm -hmm. Now, you haven't had a placebo control. You didn't give anybody fake medicine and see how they did. This was just people who said, we really want to try this. We're willing to give it a go. We really want to see if this helps us be able to find our language better, be more settled in our emotions, be able to sleep better. Yes, I want to make very clear that what I'm referring to is my work on the ground. I was not on the ground with this particular study, so I just want to make that very, very clear. Pain medicine and pain research and pain in the brain come to mind. There's a lot of study lately about how a lot of the pain that we think that we feel after an injury may come not from the injury healing, but by the fact that there's been a pattern set up in the brain that is continuing, and that cycle of that pattern needs to be changed somehow for the pain to go away. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the things that happen in the brain can get into a feedback loop that's destructive Mm -hmm. or not so good. With brain damage, could there be a feedback loop that gets stuck that needs to get kicked and restarted and rebooted? Yeah, there's no question that ibogaine has a strong potentiality for shaking the etch-a-sketch. Shaking the etch-a-sketch. <laughs> so an etch-a-sketch for, you know, maybe younger folks was a, a little toy that was used and has two little knobs on it. And you could create this kind of image on this particular screen. And then when you shake the etch-a-sketch, the magnetic drawing would be pushed away. So it's essentially an erasure or like a, a, a rebooting, if you will. So maybe if we want to speak in more contemporaneous terms, yeah, there's like a rebooting that's a potential to occur. Many people have reported that aches in their knees or in their back or, you know, different wounding that that people have gone through while in deployment that they have reported that it no longer ails them after this experience. After the ibogaine. After the ibogaine experience, yes. So they may have hurt their knee too. Maybe the knee has healed, but there's still pain in the knee until they take the ibogaine. Exactly. and this is, again, this is the, tra- the trauma therapist in me coming out. I don't believe that we can distinguish between the emotional and the physical because there are going to be emotional and psychological impacts on the physical and vice versa. And so it's really important that when people have this experience with ibogaine, they can report that injuries that have plagued them or tensions in their back have actually been remedied after their experience with ibogaine 
as a direct result of the experiences and the healing that they received on a physiological, emotional, and psychological, and even spiritual level. There's other things besides the ibogaine pill that's given, or, or I don't know if it's a tea or something. It's a pill. It's a pill. Okay. So a pill that's given. There is a lot of people talking ahead of time and saying, I have intention. My hope is that this will help me heal. Mm -hmm. And there's intention saying, I will do meditation. I'll do yoga. I'll do talking with someone like you to open a pathway of intention to make the most of this moment. Yes, it is incredibly important that people are prepared going into this experience um, and that they have some sort of help integrating afterwards because it is a really big experience. Could this also happen without the ibogaine pill? If you went to an Episcopalian church and you really believed in Christianity and the Episcopalian church and you found some people who said, we're good at praying hard for people who need healing and you really believed in this with your heart and soul, could you have the same effect potentially from that? I don't know if I can speak to that. What I can say is that if I don't believe that something's going to work, then odds are it's probably not going to work. Have you ever had anybody take the ibogaine who doesn't have a strong hope that it might work? The people that I work with, most of these people have been very straight-laced. They are not people who usually partaken of any sort of psychedelic. For them, oftentimes, this is kind of a last-ditch hope. This is kind of a Hail Mary of, I need something to work because what has been offered is no longer working or has not worked to the point where I'm living a fulfilling life. A big portion of my job is to actually minimize expectations. So I always say, if we can say, you know, you can get just a little bit of space, a little bit of space from your symptoms, so that way you can do a little bit more work. Can we call that success? Anything beyond that, we'll say, is like gravy on top. Because it's really important that people don't think that this is just a one-stop shop and that you do this thing and that everything is peaches and cream from here on out. Life is still going to happen. And, you know, people who have even more challenging traumatic brain injuries, they may still have impacts on how they live their life. But if they can have minimized symptoms, if people can have a bit more freedom in how they navigate their life, that is absolutely a success. And there's no doubt that when working with Ibogaine, there are physiological changes that occur in the brain. How do you know that? white neurological matter was increased based off of one experience with ibogaine. This was a one-month study. Could it be that while brains look better right away afterward, could it be that in two years the brains will look worse? I am not aware of any longitudinal studies around this, and so I can't speak to that. What I can say is that anecdotally, the clients that I have worked with, the participants that I have worked with, have reported that so long as so long as, this is a big caveat, that so long as they implement new routines, because one of the big parts of this entire experience is the neuroplasticity that is formed. And so these new habits that people talk about, so, you know, engaging in mindful, you know, practices, whether it be yoga or meditation, making sure that their diet is taken care of, making sure that they avoid alcohol or other sorts of drugs or stimulants, um, that their lives are actually changed for the better over a long term. Yeah, but could you just get the pill and just go to the healthy routines? 
Well, this is where breaking out of these rigid thought patterns, and particularly for people who have traumatic brain injury, particularly for people who have PTSD, um, there can be a um, solidifying or a, a rigidity in perceptions. And then default mode network can be a rigidity in the ways in which they perceive how they are, who they are, and how the world is. And so this is where the value of having these medicines that increase neuroplasticity can come in. So that way it can um, help people see that something else is possible. And if something else is possible, it's like those Olympic you know, uh, records that are never broken until someone breaks them, and then people are breaking them all the time, right? And so it's um, just needing to see that something else is possible. And assume that someone can see that, then they can actually um, achieve it. Where are you going tomorrow? Well, tomorrow I start my trip back. I'm going to be driving back down to um, just south of Tijuana, Mexico, where I currently am based. Um, but I will be moving back to Colorado in April. You'll be down in Mexico. Will you be doing this work some more? Yes. Yeah. So, again, I'm an on-the-ground facilitator for an organization called The Mission Within, which is based in North Baja. When you come back in April, will that be just to hang out for a while or because there's some hope that this kind of therapy can be used in the United States at some point? My hope is that we can bring this work to the United States. We can do it in a way that is ethical, in a way that is safe, and in a way that is efficacious and really helping to to spread the healing throughout the United States. I'm Shelley Schlender. Thanks to Andrew Linares for those perspectives about Ibogaine. Ibogaine is a drug with a reputation for treating addiction. It's a dangerous drug that might cause brain damage and or death if not used with great care. It's a drug that in a small case study of Special Forces veterans, published recently in the journal Nature, seems to have significantly reduced symptoms of traumatic brain injury after one single supervised dose. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. This week's show was produced and engineered by me. Additional contributions from Beth Bennett. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music, the song Ibogaine from Lord Ikomi Nadong. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and hot links to the topics we've talked about today. Questions or comments? call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911 for How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Shelley Schlender.